0: everyone and welcome to this podcast. Today, to tie in with International Men's Health Week, we'll be discussing urinary incontinence and sexual dysfunction issues that males living with diabetes may experience. What these issues may look like, ways we can support clients, and importantly, how to bring these conversations up in consultations. I'd like to introduce our guest for today, Dr Trenton Barrett. Trenton is a urologist with subspecialty interest in female urology, andrology and male infertility. He completed a fellowship in Adelaide, followed by a further subspecialty specialty fellowship in female urology and andrology in the UK through the Leicester General Hospital. Dr Barrett has completed an observership with the Female Reconstructive Unit at University College Hospital in London, and has undergone training in male infertility microsurgery at Cornell in New York City and the PUR Clinic in Claremont, Florida. The learning objectives for this podcast are firstly to understand what urinary incontinence and sexual dysfunction may look like for males living with diabetes. Secondly, to understand how common these issues are for our male clients. Thirdly, to gain awareness of how to start these conversations around urinary incontinence and sexual dysfunction with male clients during consultations. Fourthly, to understand what some of the red flags to look out for regarding these issues may be. And finally, to gain an understanding of ways to support clients with these issues. Hi, Dr. Barrett. How are you today?
1: I'm well, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this.
0: And thank you for joining us to talk to us about these important issues, and I guess especially during International Men's Health Week. I'm wondering if you'd like to start by telling us a little about how you came to work in the urology field.
1: This question comes up very commonly, as if it's uh, such an unusual thing to do. I think basically with any sort of medical specialty, it comes down to what you're exposed to during your training, and what appeals to you from a uh, cultural quality of life and uh, you know, medical practice as- medical practice aspect. So I think early on, you decide whether you want to be a medical doctor or a surgical doctor. And once you've decided to be a surgical doctor, you look at the range of specialties within that field and choose the one that uh, appeals to you on balance. And certainly, urology offers a uh, pretty broad opportunity to help with a wide range of different problems and subspecialize like I've done. in then an avenue that appeals to you. So I'm able to help people with a lot of quality of life problems, which are quite rewarding to uh, help with, and um, offer a wide range of surgeries within that.
0: Great. Thank you for that. So I suppose now we'd better dive into some of these important topics. And I guess the first question is how common are urinary incontinence and sexual dysfunction issues for males living with diabetes? And are there any particular age groups or demographics that may be more affected?
1: So I think it's safe to say that both incontinence and sexual dysfunction, and by sexual dysfunction, we we're primarily talking about erectile dysfunction, are more common in the diabetic population than the general population. Now, both of these problems are, you know, to to a degree common in the general population. So you can appreciate the scope of the problem. Incontinence is probably a bit less common in the general population than erectile dysfunction, but Looking at erectile dysfunction, there's a commonly quoted figure of 50% of men by the age of 50, which is probably overstating things a bit, but with diabetes causing damage to nerves and blood vessels, this number is probably realistic and perhaps even more so. The groups that might be at more risk are people with poor diabetic control. Uh, With increasing age in both the diabetic and general population, these problems become more common. And other comorbidities as well that could, um, could lead into poor urinary control or um, erectile dysfunction would play a part.
0: Thank you for that. So, I guess my question is what might these issues look like? Um, what symptoms or experiences may clients be going through and dealing with these issues? Or what might be some of the red flags to listen for and look out for to know to bring this discussion up? Or would it be routinely discussed, do you think?
1: So all of these issues are, as we said, actually quite common in the general population, and the same sort of symptoms would apply to people with diabetes as people in the general population presenting with these issues. It's probably best if we break it up into two categories, firstly the incontinence and uh, bladder control category, and then the erectile dysfunction and sexual performance category because the symptomatology is quite different. Within the continence and bladder control category, people may present with the leakage of urine or what we call irritative uh, bladder symptoms, which includes urinary frequency or urgency, or obstructive urinary symptoms, which is uh, decreasing flow and the need to go um, you know, over a longer period with uh, hesitancy and maybe waking up at night. The interesting thing is that diabetes can manifest as two different patterns of bladder behavior because of the subtle nerve damage. It can lead to bladder overactivity where the bladder is pushing too hard or underactive bladder where the bladder is unable to push. And both of these can actually result in the same type of symptoms. So I guess any of these symptoms might raise a red flag um, that a referral is needed and then it's up to us to work out using testing and other methods which of the problems it isn't treated appropriately. In terms of erectile problems, this can manifest as a difficulty initiating an erection or maintaining an erection for long enough to complete the act or perhaps an issue with the firmness of the erection and the erectile quality itself. In terms of how to bring this up, I think most GPs would be open to a discussion about it, but perhaps it needs to be patient-directed, as patients may be going to the GP with other concerns, and it's very easy to brush over these issues unless they're raised by the patient as something of concern to them. For this, the key is probably increasing patient and community awareness so that people feel comfortable and empowered to bring up these issues during a consultation, and seek appropriate referral and management.
0: Thank you for that. So if one of our clients is suffering with urinary incontinence, what are some of the ways we as diabetes educators can support them through this? When should we be suggesting referring on to a specialist such as yourself?
1: Well, a lot of the initial investigation and management can actually happen at the level of primary care through the GP. I think an ultrasound for urinary incontinence is an important thing to do to rule out bladder pathology and check if the bladder is emptying, which can give you a clue about whether it's an overactive or underactive bladder problem. Both of these problems should be initially managed with physiotherapy, which can be initiated by the GP. And then there's a range of medical therapy for the overactive bladder, which can be worked through in primary care. The referral to a specialist like me should be undertaken when these things don't work or when other red flags arise. Now, in the case of urinary symptoms, the red flags really would be hematuria, which is any blood in the urine, either visible or on dipstick, or recurring UTI, where there's a pattern of infection that can't be broken with a course of antibiotics.
0: Okay, so just to pose the same question, I guess, in relation to erectile dysfunction, what are some of the ways we can support them through this, and when should we be suggesting referral on to a specialist like yourself
1: once again? So again, a lot of this can be done through the GP and primary care. Um, For erectile dysfunction, the first thing we try is medical therapy um, with uh, PD-5 inhibitors like uh, Vagra or or others. Um, This can be followed by injectable therapy uh, if the patient is willing to do that. There's a middle ground, which is a group of sexual health physicians um, that are an intermediate step between primary care and us and they will often work with patients uh, through injectable therapy if that's not something their GP is comfortable doing. Um, I would you know, suggest that people refer on to a specialist, again, when these things don't work or if the patient is not keen to pursue these conservative options. So when we're talking about using injectable therapy for erectile dysfunction, there is definitely a group of patients who just don't want to do that. And I can respect that and understand that. And they might want an earlier referral to us to talk about operative therapy. For erectile dysfunction, the red flag that might precipitate an early referral might be a, a sudden precipitous drop in erectile function, maybe associated with a sudden onset of bladder symptoms as well. If these things are happening suddenly and together, it may indicate that there's a neurological problem at work that needs to be assessed.
0: Thank you for that. Um, My next question, I guess one could say you could spend a whole podcast in and of itself. But briefly, I wonder what the treatment options currently being used for someone with these conditions. Well, again, we'll break
1: this answer down into dealing with incontinence and then dealing with erectile dysfunction. As I've mentioned, for incontinence, the first step is always pelvic floor physical therapy. And that's actually remarkably effective in helping a lot of people. If that doesn't work for the overactive bladder type problems, there are medicines that can help, uh, help reduce that overactivity and, re- and give people more control. If that doesn't work, at the level of the specialist, there are interventions we can undertake. And for the overactive bladder, that might come down to using Botox injections to um, reduce the overactivity or using a form of neuromodulation, which is an implantable device that provides electrical stimulation around the nerves that control the bladder to remedy the problem. For underactive bladder, unfortunately, there are less successful interventions. So with that, the problem is that the bladder is not able to empty. There's not a lot of uh, medicines that will help with that. And it might be to consider something like a catheterization regime. The last type of problem is a stress incontinence picture, which happens when there's leakage of uh, urine with coughing, sneezing, or laughing. That happens in men very commonly after prostate surgery for cancer or even you know, uncommonly after prostate surgery for obstruction. And for that, so in terms of surgery, we can offer different slings and prosthetic devices to reduce the degree of incontinence. For erectile dysfunction, medication is the first step. And we'd like people to cycle usually through a number of different medical options to see if any of them will work for them. And then they move on to either using injectable therapies or vacuum devices to uh, generate a mechanical erection or, like I said before, if they're not comfortable with this, we can offer a surgery called a penile implant, which involves implanting a inflatable cylinder within the penis to generate erections on demand that are reliable and conceivable when the patient doesn't want them.
0: Thank you for that. And I guess a very important question. I mean, obviously these can be quite tricky or uncomfortable issues or topics to discuss. Do you have any tips or advice for our CDEs in bringing up these discussions during routine consultations for example?
1: Well I think the fundamental key here is simply to ask the question and I think the more confident we are as practitioners in asking the question the more comfortable patients are in answering it and certainly my experience has been that once the question is asked patients are overjoyed to talk about it because it's often something that's actually been weighing on their mind these sort of you know embarrassing problems that they perceive as being taboo in some sense, they really want to talk about it. So I think once that door is open for them, they're very happy to discuss them and we shouldn't be uh, hesitant to do that for them. One thing that I find useful in my practice is to use questionnaires to allow patients to flag issues in a non-confrontational manner. There are erectile dysfunction questionnaires as well as incontinence questionnaires that can help with this.
0: Lastly, I guess I'd like to ask you what your most important take-home messages might be for our CDEs on this topic. Are there any resources that would be helpful to link clients to? Because we can put these up on our learning management system for members to access as well.
1: Well, I guess the take-home message from this discussion should be that these problems are common, yet they're not commonly discussed and even less commonly treated appropriately. But they prove to be a massive quality of life burden for the people living with them. And secondly, the key message, I guess, which I'd like to, well, I hope that I've imparted is that they're very treatable. There's lots and lots of options ranging from really minimally invasive safe options to surgical options to treat these conditions and restore people's continence, restore their erectile dysfunction and relieve that quality of life burden. So if nothing else, I guess if there's an awareness of that, we're going to be more likely to talk about these issues knowing that we can fix them. In terms of resources, uh, continence.org.au is an excellent continence resource. Rectile dysfunction is probably a little bit harder to pin down. I've tried to write good resources for patients on my personal website for my private practice, which is Perth Urology Clinic AU, for um, some of the producers of these devices, which is Boston Scientific or Coloplast have good resources, including pictures, videos and diagrams on their websites.
0: Dr Barrett, thank you very much. It's been great to talk to you today. And you've certainly armed up our CDEs with some really important tools and knowledge to support male clients living with diabetes in these two areas. I'd also like to thank you, the listeners, for taking time to listen to this podcast. To obtain CPD credit for this podcast, please go to the ADEA Learning Management System at learning.adea.com.au and complete the feedback and evaluation. And until next time, goodbye.